Welcome to a Valley Sports Plug Roundtable. It's July 27th, 2023. I'm your host, Chris Patrick, and joining me as always is my man, Mr. Michael Benjamin. What up? What up? I'm over here. What's going on, Chris? How are you feeling tonight, man? Dude, I'm feeling, I got mixed emotions, Mike. I'm not going to lie. I mean, so far, so good this week for me personally, but as a Valley Sports fan, it's been a little bit shaky with those Diamondbacks, you know what I'm saying? Not only with the Diamondbacks, but now the Pac-12 seems in jeopardy, man. That's a big one, and you know we got to touch on that. But as a roundtable goes, you know we got some friends who are going to join us. So, Chris, who's with us tonight? Joining us first and on time is our man, Nico. Welcome back for his second appearance. What up, guys? What up? How we doing? Good, man. Happy to have you back. We noticed you uh, switched up the background there a little bit from your first appearance. I did. I did. My lovely fiance works miracles very quickly, too. I uh, had to throw Jake Plummer up here or here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, um, the mirror The mirror always gets me. That's why I'm it always gets me. But yeah, I had to throw a little bit, uh, give a little bit more sports representation. I still got the WWE chain in the background, so everybody knows what it is, though. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Well, we're happy to have you back. Um, I think is this. No, you did the MLB stream with us, right? The last one uh, that you were on? No, the last one was that roundtable last oh, month. That round we table. Did. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, round tables go. yeah. Yeah. So we're just going to keep it fun, keep it light. Uh, we got the, of course, these big three topics Mike alluded to there. Got to talk about Colorado leaving the Pac 12 and the implications there in us becoming the Pac 9 potentially within the next <laughs> two years. Uh, been some MLB moves going down already. We're now, I think, just three, four sleeps away from the MLB trade deadline on August 1st, and then NFL training camps are underway. We got the Arizona Cardinals kicking off their training camp, I think yesterday or the day before, and uh, Mr. Buda Baker is there with some new uh, conditions in his contract. So plenty to talk about. Uh, We may also have another guest or two rolling in here, hard to say, but uh, we'll just kind of play it by ear. So getting down to it, let's start out and talk about the MLB trade deadline, since I think that is probably the most pressing thing on my mind. I mentioned stressing out about the Arizona Diamondbacks. They just had a rough series with the Cardinals where we dropped two. That is a very, very winnable series. I mean, could have been a sweep if we really showed up, but we didn't. Merrill Kelly came back, which was a silver lining, but I think he ended up losing that outing. Um, It's just, it's tough, man. It took Corbin Carroll heroics to come in on his day off to even get us that one win that we had with that, the I think it was an eighth inning triple or something like that. But guys, like talking about the trade deadline coming up in the Arizona Diamondbacks, I guess I'll ask you first, Nico. Do you think they're going to do anything and make any of these splash moves we were anticipating just a few weeks ago? Look, no. Um, I I would love to sit here and say, yeah, we're going to go. As soon as I saw uh, Galito go, it was over. Like, you know, that was, I feel like, a big move we needed to make. Um, You know, you hear whispers of Dylan Cease and all that kind of stuff. Um, Chicago just let Lucas Golito go. They're not going to let Cease go. They're not throwing it all. They're not blowing it all up. They're keeping some of those young guys around. So um, it, I would, no, I don't think, I don't think we're going to, we're going to make a move. I think it's going to be classic Arizona sports team at the deadline where us as fans are foaming at the mouth, wanting and begging for a move, but we just don't make it for whatever reason. And that's going to be, that's going to be what kills us. Our bullpen and the last, you know, we got, I think four or five, three, four and five in our rotation need to be addressed. 
Yeah, without a doubt. It's like we can add bats, but at the end of the day, everyone knows that the pitching is the problem. So as as fun as it would be to have Goldie back or get a Nolan Arenado, Giolito was the guy we really needed. And I know there's other guys out there. Lance Lynn, also on the Chicago White Sox. I've heard uh, Marcus Stroman's name thrown out for a few days, a few weeks now. But it's it's seeming, I think, less and less likely to me that we are going to do something. Like, I'm totally there with you. And, uh, and Mike, we were just talking about this on the Heat Check podcast we just released. And in, in the last just couple days since these moves have started to be made, are you less optimistic than you were four days ago? Oh, 100%. I mean, these moves are already starting to come off the table if you're looking at, you know, some of these big teams that are still in the hunt. I mean, Carlos Sant- uh, Santana goes to the Braves. We already said the Angels picked up Lucas Giolito. Uh, the Guardians traded for Noah Syndergaard. I don't know how much of a player they're really going to be in a playoff push, but the Dodgers added Kike Hernandez as well. So there's moves that are going, and the trade deadline is, what, four days away from now? And the bleeding just continues for the Diamondbacks, man. That St. Louis Cardinals series was really a tough one to muster. Watching Andrew Chafin blow it again, watching Scott McGuff go in and just give up two run jacks, like it's just become a narrative that we can't get rid of. And it doesn't seem like there's a light at the tunnel. The unfortunate problem, it seems like Mike Hazen is unwilling to take flyers on guys that might just be one time, one year rental guys, finish out the seasons, but might be able to get you to the playoffs, man. Like, when you have such a great start in a Rocky division, you know, pun intended, I guess the Rockies have been horrible, but you got to strike while the iron's hot. That's what I said on the heat check podcast. Why not try and go for it, make a push, but you do have to be kind of selective. Cause I guess you don't want to blow up, you know, your farm system and whatnot, but it's funny that Nico says, you know, the three to five back end in the bullpen, we still need three to five in the starting pitching rotation you know it's gonna take Merrill Kelly some time to get his feet back under him and now we're doing fifth starter by committee it's just not working with what we're doing right now and what Tori Lovello has put on the platter after the all-star break we can even say about a week before too and it's just (sighs) July not only hasn't been hot here in Arizona but it has been ice cold on the baseball field as Tallman would say man and it's just been tough to see so I hope they do something. Maybe Paul Goldschmidt. I mean, it's not a need, but something, man. Like, give the people what they want, you know? Right. And and with Goldschmidt, I mean, it, he could play DH. He could him and Walker could kind of alternate first base and DH. I I could see that being a scenario. It's just it's tough, man. Because like you're right. What are we gonna do with this starting rotation? Like I agree with Nico. We definitely need help in the bullpen and on the back end, but. Just looking at this upcoming weekend, we're going to have Tommy Henry going on Friday where he's been decent, but then Brandon Fott is getting another start on Saturday. And so I just don't know if they're like really high on him finally breaking out and overcoming these struggles he's had at the major league level. I just, I don't, I don't quite understand the logic there. So I don't understand. I've seen a lot of these trade rumors. I don't understand why the Dimebacks aren't willing to budge on Fott. He seems to be what teams want back. And, I mean, like if, if it's going to land us somebody that's, you know, a, a, a Dylan Cease or a, a, a Lance Lynn or, you know, a pitcher that's going to help the starting rotation, my God, give the, give the kid up. I mean, you know, we have the chance. And think about this roster 
with playoff experience. How how much that would help this young young roster? You got guys like Perdomo and Corbin Carroll and you know McCarthy, all these like young guys that haven't been there. They haven't had the chance to be there. Give them that experience at the very least, and you satisfy your fan base with a with a trade. Right. There's a way that they could still make moves and play it smart. I just think, like you're saying, Mike, like, why not go for it? In this season, in this league in particular, there's not really like a powerhouse team. Like you can say the the Braves might be the hottest team right now with the moves the Dodgers just made. They're they're pretty competitive, but you're not one of these teams that has a massive payroll like the Yankees, the Mets, the Dodgers. So work with what you have. And like when there's an opportunity and a window, I feel like there's enough parity in the league where if you get in, even as a wild card, anything's possible in the MLB playoffs. Like, am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. Cause teams can get hot and really put it all together. I mean, if you look at the Diamondbacks, they had a great uh, start to the season, a great May. They found themselves in first place for a reason. So we're not saying that that can't happen again, but these issues, man. I mean, I was listening to Arizona sports earlier today. Like we've had bullpen issues going back to 2017 and this team doesn't want to make the proper adjustments. And and it's not to say that they haven't tried, but they just keep throwing shit at the wall and hoping that it sticks. (laughs) And it just, it's not working, man. It is not working. You know, question for you guys. Do you think that Mike Hazen just likes being at the top of some list? You know what I'm saying? Like the Diamondbacks have an incredible farm system. They have the best prospects coming out. We're ranked at the top of this every past couple of years, past two seasons. Well, that's great. But eventually these guys got to come up and produce. And like you're saying, Brandon fought. He just continues to get opportunities and opportunities, but falters even through, you know, a great six-inning stretch he had the other night, gives up three home runs right in a row. And, you know, I I just can't have it from somebody that we need to solidify in the rotation. I know guys have off days, but he's had an off uh, career in the MLB so far. You know what I'm saying? So uh, there's just – it's great to be – you know, the number one farm system and have all of these great pieces that are eventually going to be on your ball club. But when you have opportunity to make the playoffs, wouldn't you rather be a team that is fighting for that instead of just having a great farm system? I mean, at the end of the day, this is why we're over here talking about it. We're not the ones making the decisions, but we have all these pieces to start making moves for guys like Nico said that have playoff experience that can really help this team and possibly move for a pennant and we're just running out of time and it, it doesn't seem like there's a light at the end of the tunnel it, it seems like same old diamondbacks i know i sound like a broken record when i say it but like man even when we struggled after the 01 world series i remember going to games and being like well, at least we have a good farm system like we have the best farm system in the league and then you'd see that you know, little shamrock farm graphic pop up on the jumbotron and be like, who's leading the minors? And, you know, like we, we prided it. We've always prided ourselves on that. And we've never taken advantage of it until it's too late. So I think it's it's very much so classic Diamondbacks. Or we give up on a guy too early with your Max Scherzers and all that, that I kind was, of stuff. 
I literally had that exact thing written down. Like, do you think that they're worried about a Max Scherzer situation happening with Brandon Fott where he's had a bit of a rocky start and they're like, ah, but he is a top prospect, so we can't give up on him now. But at the same time, you're going to bail on a Jazz Chisholm. Granted, that got us that gallon back, and we do have a lot of shortstop prospects. But, I mean – Zach Allen's been struggling now too. So it's just like when you see your teammates around you in a, in a slump and in a hole, it's a trickle down effect, man. It's, it's just tough for Zach Gallon to continue to go out there and continue to put up Cy Young numbers day in, day out, especially when he doesn't have back end bullpen help. And, you know, you've seen probably now the past four starts, he has struggled, man. He really has. Yeah. I, Sorry, I mean, it cuts no, 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 you go, you go. I, I, <clears throat> I completely agree with you. I think that, uh, I think that it, it this Dimebacks team kind of reminds me of the Suns team before we traded Johnson and Bridges in the way that they are around each other and about each other, and it's a family almost feel. There's a lot of when the celebrations are happening, you can tell it's like a wholesome. These guys are celebrating, um, and I, I, you know, I think that. I think that something needs to happen like the Suns did where we bring in, make a splash, like make a move. Something's something's got to change. But I do think that the, there is a little bit of fear of Max Scherzering themselves or, you know, even even just an updating yourself. You know, the year after the dude is second or third in MVP votes, see you in Atlanta, buddy. Like, you know, I think that there is a, a fear of that when you have a, a serious track history of it. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's unfair, honestly. Like, I would, not to hoard prospects, but I would be weary about giving on up on them too early. I think Fott's only 23. We got Jordan Lawler down in the system. He's 21. And Corbin Carroll's only, like, 23 or 24 also. So it's like, these are young guys who could still need a couple years to develop. And if you give up on them too early, then you just kind of have to live with it. Um, real quick, as we move forward here, we do have another guest joining us. Uh, you can take the man out of Arizona, but you can't take Arizona out of the man. We have our resident Texan, Mr. Ben Miller. Hey, guys. How you been, buddy? It's been a while. I know. It has been a while. Living the dream. Uh, don't wake me up. But, man, what a weird time it is to be a Valley sports fan. Lots of changes happening. I couldn't have said it better myself. We definitely want to pick your brain and get your insights on this whole Pac-12 mess. Um, right now we are talking some baseball. I know that's not necessarily your favorite topic. Um, have you been keeping up with the Diamondbacks, though? You know, every time I like look down on my phone and I get one of those push notifications saying the end of a score, I feel like it's always D-backs losing recently to someone, whether it's the Cardinals Toronto, just like it's been, seems like it's a real slump in this dog days of summer at this point. What's been happening with it? I mean, for from my see, it just seems like since the All Star break, we forgot how to play baseball, and our our issues that have kind of been plaguing the team all season that we've managed to overcome with incredible offense is now coming home to roost. It's just the pitching staff is just a complete nightmare. And there's no way to sugarcoat it. It's the starting rotation and the bullpen. We only have two solid starters, and they've both been shaky lately. One of them was Miro Kelly. He was on the IR for like three weeks with a blood clot in his lung. So it's like, ah, it just felt like 
we kept saying like over and over, like they're, they're exceeding expectations. They're, they're, you know, stronger than a lot of people thought they would. And I think that's just starting to show a little bit now where it's like, for a second there, for like a second, Ben, I was like, maybe this team is good. Maybe they are as good as they look, but I have a conspiracy theory. I want to ask Mike and Nico about this. I feel like the recent lack of success leading up to the trade deadline is maybe maybe not intentional, but very convenient for them to be able to not make a move or have an excuse as to why we didn't make a move. Uh, that's a good conspiracy theory. Chris, I mean, yeah, it was a struggle, but it was really like just a week before the all-star break. And then it's been a shit show since. So I understand that. And that's in the lead up to the trade deadline, but this team was solid and in first place and a good baseball team for two and a half months. And you had plenty of time to sure up the bullpen. So I'm not going to take that as an excuse. That's unacceptable, but I can see where you're going with it. So yeah, we'll give it to you. That's fine. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think it's a it's a good conspiracy theory. I think we shot ourselves in the foot, man. Ultimately, at the end of the day, like we're we're beat we're beating ourselves. Nobody's really beating us on the on on the on the field right now. So, you know, it's yeah. I would love to say that that conspiracy theory is it, but uh, unfortunately, I think right now we just kind of suck. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say Tori Lovello is throwing games, but I feel like I haven't. I'm not the biggest, like, when it comes to, like, the fundamentals and, like, the whole, like, everything that goes into managing a baseball game, I don't fully understand. I'm much more comfortable speaking on basketball in that capacity. But I have seen criticisms online of Tori Lovello, and he did just get a fat extension, I'm pretty sure, through, like, 26 or 27. So it's not like we're going to be able to get rid of him. But hypothetically speaking, if there is still a guy out there, a pitcher, batter, whatever, who, what are some prospects that you guys would be willing to give up? Or not even prospects, like current guys that are on the roster right now. Nico, we're talking like Alec Thomas, Geraldo Perdomo. Do you give up Lourdes Goriel if, if the return is right? No. I Okay, if the return is right, you you entertain the Guriel idea. You entertain anything that's going to make your team better at the end of the day. Um, I think I think McCarthy's got to go. I don't I don't understand the the like allure. I, he, he's not great with the bat. His defense is – he'll make a, like a highlight play every once in a while, and then it's just kind of suspect in the outfield. Um, I, I think, honestly, I, it's – I like Alec Thomas, but if that's what a team asked for in order to get, you know, a, a number three starting pitcher, I'd say you give it. You give it. I mean, I'm always the dude that wants the big splash trade, though. I don't – I, I, there's like maybe three three guys that are hands off on this roster right now, um, and that's like kind of it. So, and yeah, who is I, that? Yeah, Corbin Carroll, Zach Gallen, and who? Who's your third? I I think you. I think it's probably Guriel. Like I said, but Guriel is the one that you can you can kind of waver on a little bit because there are teams that I think would be willing to give up the right price for how hot he's been. Not to mention if you're a team like like Florida or Cincinnati and these teams that like like showy players, like Uriel with his with his hair flowing and the bandana and everything, 
he's going to make those teams money on and off the field. So I think the teams look at that and they can go, okay, well, like, yeah, we're willing to give up so-and-so that is probably an all-star caliber player multiple years for Guriel, who's having a really good year this year. Are you saying that Christian Walker is a trade piece? Yeah, I also look look unpopular opinion. Never been really sold on Christian Walker. Like uh, we we're looking at Mark Reynolds 2.0, I think. Like just a, just a <laughs> big beefy dude who can yoke it out the yard and strikes out more than I'd like him to. So like, you know, I don't know. I I have no problem trading Christian Walker. Not as many strikeouts though. So that's that's good. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, Mark Reynolds, I think, had more strikeouts than anything in his career. So, yeah, you know, you know, man, it's hard to really pinpoint. There are those guys, like you say, that are really untouchable. I think right now it's only two it's Corbin Carroll and Zach Gallen. You need to have a solidified ace that you can have for a couple of years. Uh, I, I would like to keep Lourdes Goriel Jr. around for a while. He's only 29 years old, but he has some experience, right? Uh, I was talking about earlier this season too, like with the outfield depth that we have, I think the one guy I would be okay with the most would be Alec Thomas. But I see some upside with Jake McCarthy, and I think more so just his speed, his ability to you know make some good plays on the base paths. And he does have a decent glove in the outfield, yeah, but he has just struggled from the plate. And then I know Perdomo just made – the all-star team, you could put the asterisks on it because he was a fill-in, but you have Jordan Lawler coming up, coming up and that, we got to get that guy in sooner rather than later. You still have Andrew Jones, who's probably a year and a half, maybe two years away. So if you keep Lourdes Goriel Jr. in, you know, by the time he comes through, I can't believe you guys just don't have faith in this kid. I have, he's got he's been genes. injured twice in less than he's a got year. The genes, the dude. Genes. His dad, his dad was one of the most powerful hitters in the freaking nineties with the Atlanta Braves. Maybe man. A, it's got to run in the blood. Maybe a pair of blue jeans, <laughs> true religions, or something. But yeah, I think there might have been something else going on in the nineties uh, to cause that those hits. Uh, innocent, boom, boom, until, boom, boom. innocent until proven guilty, Ben. But, I mean, yeah, this team has pieces to, you know, reload in the areas that they need to. It's just, does Mike Hazen in this front office want to do it? And if you're a conspiracy theorist like Chris, you know, it's not happening. <laughs> oh, let me tell you my list. My What else is on my list of conspiracy theories? I'm just kidding. But I want to... I want to quell some of the, yeah, Ben, you like that. Quell some of the Christian Walker hate because I'm with you, Nico. Um, wasn't haven't been completely sold on him. He did have a little bit of a dip, I think, right around the All Star break. But since then, in 12 games, he's hitting 289. He's got 13 hits, four home runs. And he's only struck out 13 times in 45 at bats. So not too bad. Maybe he's figured it out this season. But again, I think kind of like Guriel, if it's the right trade, I would. I'd pull the trigger on a Christian Walker trade, especially if that trade included that getting Paul Goldschmidt back. Although, again, that's kind of tough because Goldschmidt's in his late 30s, Walker's in his early 30s. So you're kind of, again, kind of sacrificing your future. But I think unless they've come to an agreement, I think this is Christian Walker's last year on his contract. So that could kind of play into why he's trying a lot harder this season. Also makes more sense to trade him if it's, 
I mean, if we're about to let him go for pitch and pie, you might as well get something back for him. So, I mean, I look, anybody can be a streaky hitter. Just ask Richie Sexton. It, it got him a couple of all-star appearances too. So I, I, I don't – I'm Christian Walker I think is probably our best chance for a big return if we're talking about like teams that need a hitter. So I, I don't know. I just feel like that bait is too big. And if – yeah, Goldschmidt. And, okay, maybe – look, I'll be completely honest. Maybe I'm a softy. Maybe I'm biased. Maybe I miss the Paul Goldschmidt era. And when he didn't get his due respect as probably the game's best first baseman for a long time, I I, I, I might – that might play into my decision here, but I'd take Paul Goldschmidt over, over Walker. Yeah, I, I think that's fair from like a consistency standpoint. I just my next worry though within that is if you make that trade, I don't feel like we have any, or maybe I just don't know, have any first baseman in our system that would be able to come up. I mean, I think it was Seth Beer was a guy we were trying to groom for that position, and then we DFA'd him earlier this year. He's gone, and uh, he might be kicking around a minor league team somewhere, but. Yeah, so we have this big, robust farm system, but then there's certain positions where we're just lacking, and clearly pitching is one of them, obviously, but then also first base. It's just, ah, I hope they do something. My final thoughts on the MLB thing and the D-backs is just, I think they they will make a few moves, maybe one or two, but I don't think you're going to see any big names come in here. You're not going to see a Bedner or a Lancelin, probably not even a, who is Marcus Stroman. I just... I don't think they're they're going to do anything. I mean, what about you guys? At this point, I think uh, the ship might have sailed. I know we still have a couple of days, but uh, hopefully they could turn this ship around, man. Like, you know, losing every series, only scratching out one, have, having to have Corbin Carroll save the day can only get you so far. And you've already seen this team has fallen out of first place. They're four games back. They've also fallen out of the wild card as well. There's still a lot of baseball to play. So that's why you hope that they can make a trade because they can see that they have an opportunity to strike. But maybe they're just playing for next year. We're going to see. Yeah, I, you know, look, there's still names out there. Uh, so I'm, I haven't lost all hope. Um, but I, I, you know, I think I think you're probably right, Chris, with, that we're going to bring in one or two smaller name players that nobody's really familiar with, maybe a middle reliever, um, something to try to shore up the bullpen. But yeah, I don't think it's going to be anything like majorly impactful. Yeah. And maybe that's okay. Maybe next year we come out and look a lot better. Um, and I mean, shit, we better. If this is the route we're taking of not trying to do anything this season, we damn well better make sure we try and do something next year. But we'll be have plenty to talk about with that next week. Um, Valley Sports Plug does a Diamondbacks recap every two weeks. So I think by the time that next one comes out, uh, we'll probably know some more about some of those moves that may or may not have happened. Uh, I think that next uh, recap's coming out on the second. So we'll see how quick Mike can work his video editing skills <laughs> for that one. But I uh, want to keep it moving, Ben. I, of course, love to pick your brain on the Pac-12, as I say, but... I did want to talk about one more thing first, if that's all right with you. Go for it. And specifically with you, because we brought this up on a roundtable a while back, 
I don't know if it was the last one or the one before, but I was like, damn, Ben, it would have been perfect to have on this one because I feel like it's something that you've talked about before. And let me know if you've heard about this. It's the Enhanced Games 2024. Have you have you heard about this? Oh, you mean the uh, Lance Armstrong Comeback Award Games? <laughs> it's supposed to have the most impressive athletes the world has ever seen. What, what do you mean by impressive? Are they allowing sports without drug testing? Oh, I guess it's right there in the in the headline. <laughs> They're um, not hiding it. <laughs> I'm I'm pumped. I'm excited for it. It's gonna be a complete mess, but you know, let's let's see it. Like, are they playing like new sports? Are they trying to create different things, or or what's going on with it? So I think um, when we were diving into it last time, I'm trying to find it here. There's a list of like a dozen events and it's a lot of it is track and field. So what my first exposure to the enhanced games was, I think uh, either a YouTube, uh, what do they call them? Short, whatever, short video or uh TikTok, I think it was. Um, but basically it was like this guy saying like, I'm the fastest man in the world, but you've never heard of me. I'm faster than Usain Bolt. I have the world record for this and that. And come join me next year for the enhanced games where I'm going to run super duper fast. Um, that, you know, so, yeah. There's, there, there's a point with all of this, though, right? Like the part where it's like science is real. Like what it, how far can we push the human body to perform? And like how far can you t- use enhancements whether that's blood doping uh other performance enhancing either techniques drugs um maybe even like assistive functions like we see what people do in um with other games or augmentations there too so who knows i think that it's really cool i i still think when it comes to uh like peds especially uh, juice when it comes to baseball to tie it back to what we were just talking about is that, you know, you could be roaring it out of your mind, but it still takes a lot of skill to even hit that ball when it's going 90 to hundred miles down straight in front of you. And it might, it, it does take some skill there. So it's like, yes, it gives you the added power, but you, it only adds on what you already have there too. Well, so that's why you have to, curious to see this. That's why you take some Adderall so you can really focus in as well as the steroids. And then that way you're, you're getting kind of, it's like the uppers and the downers, right, Ben? No, that's like the, the voices stop. That's, that's completely different. <laughs> Literally locked and loaded. <laughs> but yeah, you see it there. It's a athletics. I mean, that's super broad. I have no idea what that means. Um, aquatics, gymnastics, combat, and strength. So I'm guessing that's just like people. I'm not going to say what I was going to say. Um, People powerlifting, Chris. Powerlifting. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. I think the combat one that could get scary if some guy's like literally like punching a guy's face through the other side of his skull. But I guess that's probably just going to be like I'd imagine like wrestling and boxing and I don't know if they, it looks like. I mean that almost looks like MMA since he's like on top of him, ground pounding him just in that little picture, but. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the sports were like, what sports currently, aside from these enhanced games, would have the biggest impact of 
legalizing or allowing these PEDs. Um, I mean, you can obviously think of two baseball right at the top cycling there with blood doping that my entire Trump group is a successful strategy too. But what other sports do you think could, could benefit? Football for sure. Yeah. Football for sure. Uh, I don't know about basketball as much. Like you can be a big, strong guy in basketball, but if you're just uncoordinated and can't shoot, I mean, what are you going to do back down someone? I mean, especially like you can be like the most jacked six foot guy, but what are you going to do against Nikola Jokic? And his soft, squishy body. Absolutely nothing. He's still going <laughs> to dominate you, right? Like, am I, am I wrong, Mike? I mean, it could help with endurance. I just think it depends on what kind of, you know, oh, drugs true. you're using. If it's not Hey, it, what about rowing? Do you think that could help? Oh, for sure. Yeah. A thousand percent. I think boxing. Unlimited power. Swimming, for sure. Swimming, absolutely. Ben, you were a swimmer. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> yeah do, i just do you think you could have benefited from performance enhancing drugs i i think my problems with swimming came from a lot of different areas that performance enhancing drugs would have had no effect on I think starting, just, starting with muscle mass and or will to be there and forgetting to breathe when you're swimming and just not coming up yeah exactly no but i think like a lot of a lot of these sports especially ones that are um involve that like either endurance or that explosive nature if you are blood doping or like taking out these parts that increases that explosivity you are going to have an advantage over someone who does not have that so i think those are the, the the peak parts that you can look at for where will the enhancement get i mean will like we just saw in tennis you have these same people who have been the champions for 20-ish years now with uh, Roger Federer and except now we have the and uh, it's not Jokic it's Rafael Nadal R Rafael Nadal and uh, Jokovic Jokovic, Jokovic. Yeah. Some, some sort yeah. of Slavic magic you know <laughs> um, and you see these guys that are just dominating but now is the first year that we've had a actual new winner to this uh that's actually someone from this new younger generation coming in so it's like if you add these this stuff in you will have like people that are able to stay in the game longer but you don't have as much of a turnover into that newer generation and newer talent either yeah and, and i think like it's it's like a fine line right because a lot of these uh professional sports organizations and college sports whatever I feel like they've added and really bloated like out the list of banned substances to where guys are just taking vitamins or supplements that their trainer gives them. And they're like, oh, I was just rehabbing my my broken shoulder. I didn't know that deer antler extract was banned in the league. That's actually something I think it was Ray Lewis or one of those guys on the Ravens got suspended or whatever, a couple games. And then Meanwhile, there's guys doing no, no performance enhancing drugs. They're just betting on their own team to win a game and they're getting year long suspensions. But that's, that's a whole nother conversation. Exactly. Anyway, enhanced games. We're going to keep an eye on that. We're going to we're going to talk about that for sure. But it looks like that's not happening for over a year. I think I saw December 2024 on there. So let's get in to some late breaking news now that we're 35 minutes into the live stream. Ben can't bury the lead anymore. Did I see today that Colorado is leaving the Pac-12 and we will become the Pac-9 in one year? Yep. As, as of now, there are three teams that will have their last season 
be the 2023-2024 uh, season in the Pac-12. USC and UCLA uh, last summer announced they're jumping over to the Big Ten. And today, Colorado has been, it's been leaking here and there for the past few months and whispers about it and as many articles as you can think of about like, will they, won't they? But Colorado made it official. They are moving back to the Big 12. Yesterday, the entire Big 12, all schools, presidents voted to accept them into the league and their board of directors today, their uh, board of regents said, yes, we will go in the 2024 once the current Pac-12 media deal is done. And the main thing around all of this is what is the Pac-12 doing? What, how are they letting this go to the, all of this change that's happening? When the, what kicked off this last, this newest uh, piece of conference realignment was Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12 to jump over to the SEC at the very beginning of tw in 2021. So that kicked off this entire realignment where the Big 12 was floundering. They didn't, they were in what the Pac-12 was facing right now, where their two biggest programs were jumping off and leaving. So, but they, instead of responding, they actually approached the Pac-12 initially saying, hey, can you guys either absorb us and we merge and create this super conference with over 20 teams, or will we do some sort of merger or merger or alliance to focus on that. The Pac-12 said, Haha, that's crazy that that's happening to you. We're good. We're the Pac-12. That's not really affecting us. And we're more happy and more dumb to take a handshake deal with the Big Ten and ACC for the alliance to stop the SEC's expansion. What, what did that work? The Big Ten took USC and UCLA from underneath us. And we have been waiting on this new uh, media deal that is supposed to be either the same, likely the same as the Big 12s or bigger. And now with Colorado leaving and USC and UCLA already left and really not know, not seeing a lot of interest from other schools that are in the Power 5 conferences to want to come over to the Pac-12 right now, it's really a mess. And the media deal was supposed to be done back in March. It's been postponed every single month. Even to now, when the Pac-12 had their media day last Friday, they still do not have any information on a deal that's going to these presidents of universities. So one of the things I'm seeing right now is that uh, there is probably going to be one more shoot to fall. Um, according to some sources on Twitter this week, another school that will be a surprise moving to the Big 12. Some are saying that it's Arizona, that the Big 12 is, a, is probably the best college basketball brand it, among all the conferences uh, this coming year with Kansas, Cincinnati, BYU, UCF, uh, and the performance of other Big 12 schools in that TCU, for example. Um, but we don't know. Hopefully, right now, one of the best things that can happen for ASU and Valley's ASU and U of A is that we decide to just leave the Pac-12 and join the Big 12 as well, because then you would have that Texas market and also a more stable and elevated college basketball, college football uh, aspects. Also, from a very selfish perspective, I would like to go and see games that are in my backyard. <laughs> Whether that's SMU joining the Pac-12 or T or ASU joining uh, the Big 12 to watch to play against TCU, that would be fun. I'd be able to actually watch games not through illegal streaming on my computer. And you're right down the road from that SMU campus, aren't you? 
Oh, oh yeah, about like five, 10 minute drive. Um, but yeah, the, the main thing is that this new president uh, or the new Pac-12, they, have, they haven't done anything. They've bungled the entire thing. They've taken any advantage that we had in pursuing and being aggressive on this expansion. And I've really just fumbled the ball. Like it is, it is a very scary place to be because the thing that could is the worst thing that could happen to ASU, which knock on wood is probably <laughs> might happen is U of A cuts ties and runs because that will destroy whatever rivalry we have. And that'll just leave us with Washington state and Oregon state holding our uh, willies and being like, Hey, uh, where'd everyone go? Yeah. And I wanted to ask you as, as you're talking about that um, for someone who's not as informed on the whole situation, what is the kind of the, what are they trying to figure out with the media deal? Is it like a new carrier for the PAC 12 network or is it, are they going to broadcast elsewhere on like a different network? So that's the, that's the big thing. The biggest part of the PAC 12's media highlight is that number one, it is fully Western. You had that entire geographic region of California, the full West coast, and then the mountain, the mountain zone. So two time zones specific and mountain. But then also you had the media markets that were associated with that too. But lastly, you had Pac-12 After Dark, which has been ESPN's after 10 p.m. start times, which for anyone on the East Coast or in a central time zone that's a fan of Pac-12 sports was the most frustrating thing ever. But it's also something that you can't really avoid with you know how time works. Um, so that being the only time late night and the rest of the country when football is being played is something that's really valuable to these media deals. And a lot of them are only interested in that, but PAC 12 schools don't necessarily want to only play seven to eight 30 kickoff games uh, on the West on West coast time. The other piece of that too, is what is the actual value of the PAC 12 media without USC and UCLA who were the number one, number two drivers of this economic uh, interest for it. They were the namesake programs, the oldest programs, and some of the most successful programs in recent and uh, just all of college sports history. So that's the, the main part, but a lot of it is the money is already being gobbled up. Uh, I think it's the SEC and Big Ten both have comparable numbers upwards in the 50 million per school range of distributions from their media deal to each school each year. Um, the Pac-12 is not going to get anywhere near that. So it's basically been a race between the Pac-12 and the Big 12 to who is going to be number three in that. And the Big 12 got theirs done last year, very, very early on, and did an expansion adding four teams, BYU, Cincinnati, University of Central Florida, and Houston. All really good college basketball and some really good college football uh, brands from these lower the, the American conference. So they were aggressive and took that while the PAC 12 has just been waiting. And some of the news that's coming out with them is like, Oh, the longer we wait, the more, the better these deals get. But the people that they're dealing with from whether it's interest from Apple, Amazon, ESPN, Fox, or some combination of like the CW and these other networks, it's, not going to be a one-stop shop. It's probably going to end up being a lot of the Pac-12 games end up being on some sort of streaming service, which is fine, but we just need to know what's going to happen and know what to expect. The Pac-12 network um, for everyone though is officially going to be dead after this year. 
Oh, thank goodness. I'm pretty sure it was, was it only available on Cox or was it direct TV? Dish. Dish. Oh, even, even better. Yeah. Yep. No, I appreciate that, Ben. Like I, a lot of that, I didn't really realize like all the moving parts about it. Obviously the big two sports, football and basketball are, I feel like the main driving factors for this. Um, Nico, I want to kick this over to you, get you involved a little bit here. Cause I see you got the ASU Jersey out there. What starting out with my question, you can feel free to go wherever you want with this, but what do you feel like the appetite is for that Pac-12 after dark product? Whether, you know, for us here locally, which would be in a reasonable hour, you know, eight, nine, ten o'clock, versus someone on the East Coast, like Ben saying, where it's eleven, twelve, one in the morning when games are starting there. Yeah, so I have a little bit of experience in this. Um, Illinois, man, we ASU was on it like literally 10 30 at night. Um does it suck? Yeah, it's tough because it's late and you've already watched a day's worth of college football. And it's like, man, am I really going to sit through ASU fumbling four times and not being able to drive the field at 1030 at night when I could just be going to sleep, doing something else, playing 2K? You know, there, there seems to be a lot more uh, profitable avenues for me to be spending my time at 1030 at night. However, being so far away from home, you get so homesick that you will stay up till 1030 and you look forward to those 1030, 11 o'clock games. Like I remember ASU and like Washington state playing and it like, just like sitting there being like, Oh my God, I'm so excited. I get to see like Arizona state football and I'm not having to like stream it from my phone where it buffers and lags. And like, you know, it's, it's tough when you're out of state and you're yearning for the product in the Valley. Um, So it's a double-edged sword. I mean, I do completely understand it um, as someone who has literally moved here in the past, moved back here in the past two months. Um, I do sympathize with like losing that pack 12 after dark though, because that was, that was the only taste of home you got. We didn't get the Diamondbacks. We didn't get the Cardinals. We didn't get any kind of West coast feed of anything. So, you know, I don't know. I liked it. It, it did suck, but I'm also a night owl. So I'll stay up and watch. <laughs> Yeah, and when it's like a big a big matchup, like you're gonna find pe- like people will stay up and they'll be excited for that. Like if it's a ASU versus Oregon, and it's to decide who's gonna or ASU Utah, and it's gonna decide who's on the Pac-12 South. That is an exciting game. That's gonna be a rivalry game. That always happens. Like usually uh, midday um, for the most part. I think a few years ago when ASU beat U of A like seventy to seven, um, it was like in that prime time area had to bring that up. Um, but, but yeah, it's just, it's kind of weird and we just don't, we don't know what's going to happen with that. And the one, the bad side with it is that Michael Crow and Ray Anderson, the president and the AD respectively of ASU have been the biggest proponents of number one, Larry Scott and the PAC 12 as an institution overall. So any interest that has been coming from other four corner schools, such as Arizona, Colorado, um, joining the Big 12 has been met with ASU saying, no, we are not going to go. We support the Pac-12. We're all going to stay. So now that one shoe's dropped, we'll see what happens. But who knows? But Larry Scott's out, right? It's this new guy, George Kalagkov? Kalagkov. Yeah. Yeah. Does that give Does that give us hope that things are going to get better? He's the one who came in after Larry Scott and has done 
basically nothing. He's the one who's fumbled this bag the entire way. And I just kept saying like, oh no, we're not worried about people getting poached as he's had three, a good quarter of his conference poached from underneath him. That's great. That's great. I mean, okay, but Mike, I want to ask you this because I think there are a lot of pros and cons to the Pac-12 After Dark product before we get too far off that. Because I, I hear what you guys are saying. Like, if you're a guy that was from Arizona or an ASU or any West Coast school fan and you've moved east, you get to see your team. But also, I think it could be cool, like, on a Saturday night, you're out at the bar, it's 10, 30, 11 o'clock, and there's still a, a sports game on the TV to see. I feel like there's a lot of moving parts with that, though, because is it ranked teams? Is it teams we actually want to watch? Or is it crap teams that are just... It's a football game. You can bet on it, maybe, if you're in a state that allows gambling. But is it is it enough, especially with these three schools leaving, USC, UCLA, and Colorado? And that's the biggest concern now, right? I mean, when you lose UCLA and USC, you lose basically the Los Angeles and California market, either than Stanford. And to be honest with you, Stanford's programs have not been where they have been, you know, almost going back to the times of Andrew Luck. So if you're talking football specifically, so I mean, how many teams in the Pac-12 are going to be ranked in football? Maybe one, if we get lucky, if Oregon is still there, still around, you know, we know U of A has sucked for a very long time and ASU is in a transition period as well. So yeah, Chris, it's probably going to be bottom of the barrel, uh, you know, guys really putting on their uniforms and trying to put together some kind of product for the Pac-12. Pac-12 After Dark, it's something that, you know, can't go wrong, like you're saying. If, if you're a sports fan and you're just a college football fanatic and an addict and you have to see everything, you got an entire slate for all of Saturday, you know, especially even if you live on the East Coast with the games going to 1 o'clock, just trying to freaking hold your eyes open so you can actually watch the game because you're so damn tired. But the biggest issue here, I think, especially like Ben was saying within the past, you know, all of 2023, because you can almost go back to December of 2022 when they were finally talking about, okay, we're making some progress with these TV deals. It sounds like we're going to have something in a couple of weeks. And then we hit March another three weeks. It's going to be there. We're going to be there. And I think that was really the final straw that broke the camel's back for Colorado was like, we keep having these promises of just a few weeks I know uh, Sports Illustrated put out an article on July 18th saying that a deal was imminent. And wh what now? It's another t two, three weeks away from anything being done. And it's mm -hmm. it's breaking this conference's back, man, at the end of the day, because there's just better opportunities, it seems like, for some of these higher-profile programs, like Ben alluded to with Arizona basketball. I would not be surprised if they're the ones that is the next shoe to drop to go to the Big 12 because of what a power conference that uh, that is for basketball. And we know that's the bread and butter for them. So, yeah. And like to the way that the Pac-12 is fumbling itself and being incompetent is messing up other schools that are interested in joining the Pac-12. San Diego State in June, they went to a position where they sent a letter to the Mountain West Conference saying, hey, we are interested in leaving after the 2024 year to leave this conference. We just want to let you guys know and like what see what the what the, what our options are to not pay the $10 million exit fee. There it is. And 
The Pac-12 didn't say anything about it. They didn't talk to San Diego State after that because San Diego State was trying to get them to, to actually extend the invite and say, we're expanding. Welcome, San Diego State. San Diego State had to go and resend that, go back to the Mountain West, begging them to say, hey, remember that letter? Please ignore that. We didn't mean that we were leaving. We were, we were asking for options. Like, what? It never happened. It never, it, never, happened. it never happened. And like there was another piece where uh, earlier this spring, the uh, George Klyavkov, uh for the Pac-12 was at an SMU basketball game which SMU is also one of the schools that's being courted by the Pac-12. But the main thing is they keep saying that they're not going to do expansion until this media rights deal is done. And this media rights deal isn't done and it's not happening. And it seems like a lot of smoke and mirrors. And unless they come up with a number that is definitely bigger than what the Big 12 has at $31 million per school, it's not going to happen. And if you keep losing schools, that number is going to keep going down too. That's the biggest issue here, right? I mean, you're hoping to get something that's similar to there, but when you lose your two biggest teams, and I know Colorado has kind of a um, a bigger following at the moment with Deion Sanders becoming the head coach, right? And two can't... winning seasons in 20 years, right? But you can't you can't tie just the head coach to the entire program and what success will come from it too, but. If you don't have the product already and you don't know what the future is with other teams coming, how are you going to get any kind of similar deal? And yeah. if you get something where it's only $10 million per year for, for a team because you, you partnered with Apple and you can only do it through streaming on Apple TV, I mean, you're not going to be able to get San Diego States. You're not going to be able to get even teams like our schools like SMU. So it's just, it's scary. You would, you would be able to get that, but it's not going to be enough to keep the brands that we already have. Because like, what are the Pac-12 gets? It's probably going to be more than what the Mountain West is paying out. It's probably going to be more than what the American Athletic Conference is paying out. Because the Mountain West is playing schools like Nevada, uh, San Diego State, Gonzaga, St. Mary's. Like, There's a couple big brands in there, but it's not these big state schools that are institutions to, that are driving that revenue and driving the, those viewing numbers. And the rivalries, which you alluded to as well, that have been for decades long. I mean, if Arizona splits and goes and Arizona State doesn't go with them, I mean, dude, that would be a travesty for the state of Arizona, yeah. not just for sports bands, but for Arizona. Would that be the end of the territorial that. cup, like entirely if that happens? I mean, the same thing is like money's going to drive all of this. T here in Texas, a good example of that is Texas A&M left in 2011 to join the SEC, uh, left the Big 12. Texas and Texas A&M hate each other, and they are uh, they have not played a game against each other in almost 12 years. So they're going to actually play their first game against each other when Texas rejoins the or joins the SEC in a year and a half. Or in two years, how much how much say does the NCAA as like the overarching body have in all of these like conference realignments and shit? Because I feel like at the end of the day, like if there's too much of this type of stuff going on, it could be a detriment to the product as a whole. Or am I am I kind of out of bounds with that? It's they don't. The schools are allowed to go and organize amongst themselves. 
the NCAA says that it does rules for the actual product of like what is happening in the game and then bowls and championships. So the, the only thing the NCAA really does is that uh, college football playoff and then March Madness. Those are the two biggest things. Gotcha. And like expanding the, the playoff as well, right? So it's not going to happen this year, but next in the 2024-25 season is when it starts? I believe so, yeah. Okay. Now, before we, before we get off of ASU, I know we want to talk some uh, cards football too. But with ASU, um, bringing it more home, and since we are the Valley Sports Plug, and also while we have Ben Miller on with us, uh, I saw an article today. Um, let me pull it up here, actually. It's that uh, Kenny Dillingham is wanting to name a starter sooner rather than later uh, before the season opener, which is 35 days away on August 31st. We will finally have some football back. I know the NFL season will be right behind it, but Ben, have you been keeping an eye on this? Like, who do you think is uh, going to end up taking that starting spot out of the? I think it's a three-man race right now. Yeah, it's it's basically it's basically a two-man race at this point. So the I'll start with the third man being Jaden Rashada. So there was a lot of news about him earlier in the spring where he decommitted from Florida after Florida uh, promised him this obscene amount of NIL money, something like $6 million to come and play in Florida. Um, they never, whoever was organizing it, never paid him. And it, everything fell through. So he, it's like, hey, let's let's go. And it's also like whoever was advising him in that too was just chasing the bag and trying to do something else. He, his dad played at ASU. And so he came and is joining ASU. He's going to be a stud. He's going to be amazing. He's probably not going to get a lot of reps in right now. He's still learning the game and trying to learn the system, as if everyone's learning this new system underneath Kenny. But Kenny being an offensive-minded minded coach and having that uh, offensive coordinator experience at Oregon, where he re- rehabilitated Bo Nix's entire career after Bo Nix left Auburn, and then also being at Auburn, Memphis, and uh, – following Billy Napier between ASU to Memphis to uh, not, he didn't go to Florida with Billy, but yeah, that's, he's going to be a really good part for the future. The main piece is between uh, Trenton Burgett, who is the one remaining quarterback that was with ASU last season. He's the, the guy who's been back up his entire career. He's coming into his senior year and he did okay. Again, last year, uh, Emory Jones was a bust and just was Herm Edwards' last shot at trying to have a fancy quarterback and did not work out. Uh, once he got injured and Trent took over, there was some stability there. But then with the firing of the coach and that entire staff, just it didn't turn out. So the, the new QB from Notre Dame, uh, he just transferred into ASU. I think his name is Drew Pine. Uh, him and Trenton Burgett are the ones who are competing for this starting job. Both of them have solid reps. Drew Pine has solid reps at Notre Dame from last year um, in a lot of big games at that level against Ohio State, against these big uh, programs and teams. So I personally think it's going to be Drew Pine, but I could see Trenton Burgett knowing this team and knowing the people. But it also – you don't know how many of the people are there because you have 50 new players to the program on this team. We have, it is 
Call us in Colorado are the number one, number two most net new players, uh, mostly from the transfer portal to uh, in the in the entire uh, D one NCAA. So it's like it's a new wash for it. I think that ASU is actually going to outperform their tenth place rating in uh, the, the preseason uh, media poll for where they're going to finish. Um, Colorado is projected to finish eleventh um too so i think that we're going to do better than we thought but it's still going to go around 500 or more all right solid i'll be i'll be curious to see i i didn't know too much about any of those guys honestly i was looking at the list with uh drew pine and trenton borget there and you know there is something to say for familiarity but it is like a whole new regime right like kenny dillingham is coming in it's his first season so he really has the, uh, the option to pick his guy and with 50 other new players on the roster like how much of an advantage would Borget even have anyway right um yeah. so definitely definitely something that we're going to keep an eye on hopefully ASU can put together some wins here and uh you know maybe bring some life back into the Pac-12 as a whole and I'm I'm really optimistic. I don't know about you guys. I'm really optimistic for Kenny Dillingham coming in. I think he'll be uh, quite a bit of an improvement over Herm Edwards. Yeah, I get upset every time I see Herm's face pop up on some sort of uh, talking head show. <laughs> I see this rage fills my eyes. I'm like, you, you bastard. Drove us into the ground. Mike, you got something? I was just going to say, get him the hell out of here and off the camera, man. No more. It's safe to say I don't think any of us are on the train anymore. But fellas, I'm no longer firm. <laughs> no longer firm. Fair. That's fair. That's fair. But, Ben, we're going to have to pick your brain throughout the ASU season, of course. Hopefully you can uh, hop on these uh, roundtables with us, especially once the time zone changes. It'll, you'll be, what, just one hour behind us? I think uh, it's not going to change anymore. Oh, y'all are done with that? I think, I think it's permanent. Permanent change. Uh-huh. Are you staying two hours ahead of us then? I think so, yeah. Dang, I forgot about that. Everyone's finally getting on Arizona's level with the no daylight savings time. <laughs> felt- it, it is weird for the sun to set, set at like 9.30 though. I will say that. Yeah, that's weird. Me and uh, me and Sabrina have this battle where I prefer the winter months and she prefers the summer months because she thinks that the day should have more hours in it and the sun shouldn't go down till 7 o'clock. And I like to start my evening – in the evening so if the sun goes down at 5 30 that's like perfect for me so i mean i just i prefer it but that aside from that we're about an hour in here i think i got probably another 30 minutes left in me tops i don't want to keep you guys too long ben i know it's uh getting a little late there in uh, texas but want to transition and talk about this last topic we have here which is the nfl training camp and uh, the Arizona Cardinals, more specifically, like I mentioned, they're underway. Uh, Buda Baker has gotten uh, a pay raise. I don't think it's a new contract. It's just a few extra incentives. Uh, hopefully, Nico or uh, Mr. Benjamin here can elaborate on that. But also, I saw an article today that Clayton Toon is making some waves in practice and trending towards potentially being our week one starter, I guess. So I'll, I'll ask you, Nico, first. Um, first and foremost, what do you think of Clayton Toon potentially being our starter week one? And also, are you thinking Buddha will stay here for the long term? Let's not John Skelton ourselves again, please. Just because somebody looks good in training camp and he looks like a quarterback and he smells like a quarterback, if he puts on a Cardinals jersey, he's probably a tight end. So let's not do this to ourselves. I love it. I love the fairy tale of this young. Dude, we picked up late, you know, I don't, no, 
give me Colt McCoy, who is a vet. I want somebody who's a professional. I mean, look, I see the face, Mike. I see the face, but but Colt is gonna. He's not out here trying to snipe contract money. Colt is the son of a coach's kid. He cares about football. He wants to play. He wants to win. Is he the best option? I mean, look, there's probably 40 better quarterbacks than Cam Newton or than uh, than Colt McCoy. I was thinking, why don't you bring in Cam Newton? You know, I look, there's there's guys that are available. So, <laughs> like, I I I rather it be Colt though. At the end of the day, if this is what we're going into with this roster, I'd much rather it be Colt who has been around the league, who knows how to manage a huddle, who knows how to interact with guys in a locker room. Um, the the tune idea is cute, but I don't I don't think that's what it's going to be. Do I think Buda Baker is going to stay with us? Unfortunately, no, I don't. Unless we back up the Brinks truck, which we should, and he absolutely deserves, he is not going to stay with us. Like I, it's you know, I mean, it sucks, but like we're going to watch him. We're going to watch him walk, and we're going to watch him walk in his prime. And it's going to be another Tyron Matthews scenario where we should have just backed up the Brinks truck and paid the man. And we could have had a secure safety for another three, four years, um, you know. But at the same time, we seem to draft that position really well. Um, so every time we do let one of those guys go, we end up like you know just filling it up with a guy we drafted. Um, so I, I, I hope, I hope, I hope that Buddha stays. Um, I hope that there's some sort of cardinal allegiance in his blood that makes him, you know, whether it's love of the fan base or whatnot, like something that that triggers him to stay but unfortunately i am a jaded sports fan i hear that and i think for buddha personally like himself whether he gets a contract that he likes from the cardinals or not i think a lot of it's going to depend on how much of or how strong of a desire he has to win a championship is he willing to take the larry fitzgerald route and stay here and be loyal and play his whole career and be the best defender we've seen in a long time but probably not ever win a Super Bowl or does he gamble to get a contract with like the Chiefs or someone like that and potentially win a championship I I totally agree with you though like they should offer him as much as they possibly can afford and you want to keep a guy like that who's been the anchor of our defense I mean I've said it before and I'll say it again watching the little bit of hard knocks I did last year he was the heart and soul of that team and it seemed like at times he was the only guy that gave a shit to even go out there and try even when our season was a, a wash um mike you were shaking your head at the the tune mccoy uh thing there i mean colt mccoy is no spring chicken he is no spring chicken man so here's the thing if you want to win a couple of games have colt mccoy come in and maybe get you to a six and eleven seven and ten miraculous record bearing no Kyler Murray if there's some kind of setback or he doesn't come back until week 10, 11 plus, go ahead, start start Colt McCoy. I mean, we know that he's been serviceable. He's been able to go 500 in his time with the Cardinals. I mean, obviously, this is a way different roster. It is depleted completely. But, guys, this is the year of the tank. Let's just go ahead and embrace it. Throw in Clayton Toon. Let him get some lumps out. See if he's something that you might be able to have and be a backup to when eventually Kyler Murray comes in. And lose these games, man. Like, at this point, fellas, it's going to be a tough year. We already know that. And I guess if you want to watch semi-competitive football where we lose most of the games but maybe only by a touchdown, yeah, go with Colt McCoy. 
what well, we could get a surprise here or there out of Clayton Tune, but I mean, this is the year to see, you know, some of these young guys see what they have, if they can be a part of this team moving forward, you know. Is Paris Johnson, you know, the left tackle of the future for this team? Is Zayvon Collins really going to take a next step? Is Isaiah Simmons going to be a part of this unit? Are they going to figure out where to play him? Like, this is the year when you have no expectations to play all of these young guys and give them the experience that they might need moving forward. But, uh, you know, I kind of want to touch on Buda Baker. We got to look at what happened with his, you know, contract not really restructuring but it seemed like it was a lot more incentive based so it was basically kind of a um like a placement right to see what we can do hopefully for the future to keep him involved with this team and keep him love him in Arizona so he's owed 13.1 million this year and 14.2 next year what the cardinals did they fully guaranteed this year's contract they gave him a $300,000 signing bonus and he can earn up to $200,000 in per-game active roster bonuses. So if he can stay healthy, he's going to make a lot of you know extra cash this year. And then next year, it's not it's still not guaranteed, but he can earn up to $400,000 if he participates in voluntary off-season programs, uh, which, I mean, if you can make that much, why not? And then uh, for each year, he can make up to $500,000 if he makes either a Pro Bowl or first-team All-Pro, which it just seems like year after year, Buda Baker is going to be a Pro Bowler. So, you know, up to $1.4 million in incentives and shoring up that contract for this year will at least keep him healthy and happy with the Arizona Cardinals for right now. But I'm totally with you guys. You, you got to pay them, man. I mean, especially with what we're waiting for, you know? Yeah, and like within that, like I'm with Andrew here. He's saying he hopes that we sandbag it and get some picks at the end because also pulling this up, talking about those picks that might be available, if we fully you know, sandbag it, to use his language there, we're looking at having Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. right there at the top of the draft board for us to take. And with Caleb Williams, you can see there that he's a quarterback, which – does get interesting when you consider you just gave Kyler Murray the kitchen sink and the refrigerator to keep him on this roster. And he's coming back from an injury. So whether he comes back week six, week 10, whatever it is, we've already talked about it. Mike, uh, me, Mike and Tallman on this last heat check podcast. I don't think this is the prove it year for him. I think they would still probably give him one more year depending on how everything goes. But Within that, Austin Fort and Gannon, they didn't draft Kyler Murray. That's not necessarily their guy. So how much loyalty do they have to him? How much say would Michael Bidwell have in it? I mean, probably quite a bit. Um, What was that, Mike? You died a little bit there. Oh, no. Welcome back. My computer's doing too much. But talking about the quarterback situation that we're in right now, I do think I agree with you, Mike, that throw Clayton Tune out there. Like, what's the worst thing you do? Lose games and get that high draft pick where Colt McCoy, you're right, Nico. He is a serviceable guy. He's familiar with the league. He's probably, I would assume, more apt to perform under pressure. But some fun facts I just pulled up. Clayton Tune was 11 years old when Colt McCoy was drafted. Colt is going to be 37 years old in September. And Tune just turned 24. So, let the young blood go out there. Still have Colt as your solid backup quarterback. But again, again, to say within that, if you do start Colt 
and he gets injured week three, week four, you're going to end up with two in anyway, right? See, yeah, I, I think that's probably my thought process in it is that like I'm not expecting Colt McCoy to play all those games at the end of the day. Um, we have a young offensive line, uh, and, and like Colt McCoy wasn't really that mobile in te- at Texas when he played there. So, you know, I think, I think, I don't, I think it's either a coaching decision or unfortunately an injury that puts Clayton Tune in the starting position. And if I had to guess, I don't give it much, much past week three. Um, but there was a name on that list that I did like, and that's Marvin Harrison Jr. If the Cardinals can tank or sandbag it or whatever you want to get that young man on this team, that is the best receiver that I've seen in a long time. And I, I watch Ohio State football. I am unfortunately an Ohio State fan from the Maurice Claret days. So I've, I've watched Chris Olave. I've watched these guys roll through. If we can get our hands on Marvin, Marvin Harrison Jr., we're talking about possibly another Larry Fitzgerald. Hey, that sounds that sounds pretty good to me. And speaking of uh, what do you want to call it, uh, legacy picks, if you will, uh, we talked about Drew Jones and his father Andrew Jones. I think Marvin Harrison Jr. really will live up to the hype. It's a whole different whole different game when you're looking at the wide receiver position in football. Uh, I think that's got to be our our main guy that we're going after. I would still, if I'm the Cardinals, operate under the assumption that Kyler Murray is going to be your option in the long term. Um, not to keep mentioning what we talked about on the Heat Check podcast, but we went over a little bit of the most recent Cardinals flight plan video that came out where it really was like a 20-minute expose on Kyler Murray and his rehab and kind of his process into coming back. And Kyler says he wants to come back week one. I think we all know that that's probably not realistic and that they're more likely to slow roll him. But when you look at the timetable for rehabbing his type of injury, the beginning of the season butts right up against the the short-term side of that where we could see him sooner rather than later i'm talking week four to week eight versus this week 10 that everyone's been floating out there um but just to talk about uh, you know another point of it all that i've been talking about over the past couple months and i know it's off season and it just wasn't really impressive to me what jonathan gannon and monty austin fort did with the signings and the moves they made they didn't bring in any big name person to help our team compete now and instead of saying instead of acknowledging that we're in a rebuild and that we're not going to be the most competitive team this year it seems like they just continue to double down that oh we're going to try and win games we're always trying to win games we built this roster to win games and it's just like on paper i'm not seeing it i don't see any like look i mean we didn't really sign anybody at the end of the day um there were guys available uh, I I wasn't even too cracked on our on our draft if I'm being completely honest with you. Um, I, I I don't know, man. It looked it looked like they looked at the upcoming draft and went, "All right, hands are clean, we're done." Like we you know we we've got our eyes on our guys, like you know. And I know that there is like the the Kyler Murray sucks fan club. Um, I'm not a part of that fan club. Um, I, I, my, my dad is, and I hear it from him all the time about how bad Kyler Murray sucks and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And like, look, I think Kyler, Kyler's a great quarterback. I think he has the potential to be like a serious, I mean, we've seen it. We've seen him be a game changer at times. 
consistency is where it matters. Like, I'm not going to be the guy to tell him to get in the film room, but like, you got to do your homework, bro. You got to do your homework. I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't think that they, I think they looked ahead of season. I don't think they looked at this season. I think they said, uh, roll out the jerseys. That'll put fans in the stands and uh, we'll go with what we got. Got what? And I see you got one of those new jerseys, Nico. I mean, you got the Jake Plummer right behind you, right? I I don't think it was enough of a change, but that's a completely different, you know, topic. But yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, we we know what's happening this year. It's not the year. It's the year to reset. It's the year to get new guys in for this new uh, front office and the new leadership, right? We had to get the stench out of Steve Keim and Cliff Kingsbury, and it takes some time to do that. I mean, if you look at the Cardinals, you know, page and uh, about the free agents that were re-signed, it was pretty much guys that we already had on the roster from last year, right? Will Hernandez, Greg Dorch, my favorite, David Blau, uh, Kelvin Beecham, and Matt Brader, you know? The, the two most notable names, probably Zach Paschal, who I don't know how much opportunity he's really going to get. And then uh, Jonathan Gannon's buddy, Kaiser White. I'm, he's going to have plenty of opportunity to play and, and get some uh, you know good time on the field and maybe be a linebacker for the future with us. But, yeah, it's when it's all the same guys coming back after going 4-13 and – you're not really truly making the improvements that you need to. And the other really tough thing that happened with this was all the reports about the findings from, you know, inside the locker rooms and how our family's being treated and that kind of stuff right around the time of free agency. Teams aren't going to want to come here until that stuff is fixed and situated. So we got a lot of work to do still, and we're going to have plenty of work to do on the field. We should trade Kyler Murray for just picks in the upcoming drafts. Oof, I need to get a soundboard so I could hit that. Because, well, I mean, the, the reason that we even hired Cliff Kingsbury was because he was the Kyler whisperer. He was going to get all of this done. We were going to have a franchise quarterback. We were going to have a great QB head coach relationship to bring us into the new era. It didn't work. Kyler has some serious fundamental flaws, that consistency being number one, but it's also impacted by his size and being an athletic quarterback who wants to run the ball. He's going to end up getting hurt more and more times, especially after this ACL injury. So I don't see as we move on and go through more years of Kyler, any increasing returns from what we've already seen when we ha we've had a couple good seasons before. It's going with Kyler at the helm. We're going to have more of these four and thirteen seasons, and hopefully, we get a lot of the things uh, with Gannon like, filled up around it. He starts to get him and the new GM, their guys, into the system and show us what the system is and what Phoenix has a culture for. Because our culture is nothing. We don't have one. It's there. We're we're the retirement club for players after their heyday. <laughs> so. Might as well start somewhere fresh, but I don't see I don't see a way forward where we're going to see anything that we haven't already seen out of Kyler. I tend to 100% agree, and I'm glad you brought up that. Obviously, the ACL injury is not an elephant in the room exactly, but 
you, we see it a lot in football, especially, or more specifically with the running back position, I would say where guys come back from an ACL or any type of knee injury and they don't run the same when Kyler Murray's whole game is predicated off him being able to roll out and use his legs to get that space, to get open looks. Is he going to be, when he comes back, is he going to be hesitant to do that? Is he still going to be able to be as explosive as he was before and make those plays? And Ben, more to your point, is he going to injure himself again doing that? I mean, for heaven's sakes, when he did tear his ACL, it was on a non-contact play where he just planted and cut wrong. Granted, it seems like that happens more often than not, but I am maybe that take isn't as hot as it seems at face value. Uh, maybe not just picks. Maybe we can get something greater in return. Um, we've seen to stockpile a lot of picks. Here's, as here's the hotter take. Fullbacks. Fullbacks. Bring Fullback. in Kyle Juszczyk. I think the only way that I'm trading Kyler Murray is if I for sure have shirred up the number one overall pick. My front office has committed to Caleb Williams as being the future. And maybe like I need a top five pick. Like I, I need good return because the unknown is the unknown. And like Nico was saying, when Kyler Murray is healthy he is a difference maker. The, uh, his ability to get out of the pocket and make plays. I mean, I keep thinking back to that Oakland Raiders game where he single-handedly put us on his back and runs 78 yards for a two-point conversion and helps us win that game. I mean, he is capable of doing those things. And if you're going to give up on him, you need to get a decent haul in return because this entire roster needs to be restructured from up and down. I mean, if you talk about who we're going to have coming off the edge this year, guys, worse than the league. I mean, I don't even know if Zayvon Collins can really rush the passer. We don't know anything about B.J. Ojolari. There are so many question marks where if you have at least something that you know from the past, I, I just got to have more things shirt up than others. But I agree with you, Ben. That's not that hot of a take because there's a lot of people that are in your camp that are just freaking done with Kyler Murray. And – if you want to move forward and you have the ability to get a possible future franchise quarterback, why would you hold off on it? I might be in that camp with Nico's dad as far as being a fan of <laughs> Kyler Murray hater. Like, yeah, we've known. Nico's you've always pro Murray on this. Uh, this you've call always right been. Well, no, I'm still pro Murray. I want to. I want to get him healthy. I want to see him have another chance, another opportunity, a a, a, a different leadership group in here is is a breath of fresh air for him. And at least he's showing it on the media side and showing the fans to give us some hope and garner some hope. And that's that's just what I can go off of right now. So I am seeing the hope from that end. But yeah, well, the ACL tear is always scary. To, to his relationships in the locker room. Like there's already points where people and players have already come out and said, we're tired of Kyler Murray. He's not a leader in this. Well, the other thing is too, I mean, all of, like a dude, Everybody's gone. <laughs> like Byron Murphy's gone. Freaking uh, Zach Allen's gone. Like nobody resigned. Like everybody is gone. It's funny. The one guy who publicly came out and was kind of like saying, you need to grow up. And Kelvin Beecham came back at a discount. <laughs> so you might be right, Ben. You might be right. Did we get a soundbite of that? <laughs> But I, 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 I may be a Murray supporter, but I understand the hate that comes along. I get it. My thing is that I look at this and I go, Oh, Cliff did that. 
Like, I understand that Cliff was supposed to be this quarterback. We hired a losing college football coach and decided to put him in the professional league and say, have fun. Let's see what you can do. Here's your rookie quarterback that you know from when you weren't a good coach. So I, I really, I really do think that like we got to give Kyler a chance outside of Cliff Dingleberry because that was a dark era of really bad coaching. That was we've seen real bad Cardinals coaching. That was really bad play calls. That was really that. What defense? What offense? Like I mean, you know. So I think if you get Kyler under that umbrella, or out of that umbrella and under a different one. Give him a chance. Look, if he does the same thing, if we're sitting here talking about this a year later, get him out of here. We're done with it. He had his shot. But, like, I think you got to let this man at least cook. And I, I agree with Mike. If we're going to trade him, um, you got to trade him for a guarantee. It's, you got to know that what we're getting back is going to be a quarterback or someone of significant value, and there's a quarterback that we can go get. The other thing I want to be aware of is that we've already drafted – Josh Rosen and traded him the season after for Kyler Murray. Like we have, we can't have a track history of drafting quarterbacks and giving up on them. Otherwise everybody's going to look at us and be like, why the, why would I want to go play in Arizona? They're going to trade me a year or two later when I don't do what they want me to do. Yep. I mean, that's fair. I, I'm, I'm, it's funny. I'm with both Nathan and Andrew in the points they made there. I do think Murray is kind of a sorry QB with the asterisks of that being at the NFL level. I think he was a spectacular college quarterback. He was obviously a great high school quarterback also, but I think the game, he's just, it's too big, too fast for him. He can't see over the offensive line. All of them are six foot plus, and he's a little five ten guy back there. To where going back again to what we said, he has to use his legs to roll out just to get space to even have an open pass. We can't continue to see him having these balls batted down at the line and expect him to be a successful quarterback at this level. Um, again, to, like I'm saying, I agree with Andrew. Yeah, let him cook this season. Give him the ropes. Like, what do we have to lose? We know we're not going to be a successful team, so give him – eight to 10 games to prove himself and that he deserves to stay here and be the starting quarterback or right on. Yeah. With Ben and Andrew both there trade him for some picks and some future prospects where we know we're not going to be competitive for the next probably two, three years, but what can we do to set us up for success in the long term? I, I just think there's a lot of decisions that Austin Ford and Gannon, quite frankly, are going to have to make because it seems like those two guys are going to be here for a while. Definitely. But overall, at the end of the day, the most exciting thing is that training camp is here. Man, football's right around the corner. I think we were talking on Sunday. Was it Sunday, Chris, that the Hall of Fame game was like 11 days away? So yep. that is coming up sooner than we can imagine. So I can't wait to get back out to red and white practice. I know they're having a special... Uh, looks like a back-together weekend um, on July 29th, which is this Saturday. Uh, 50 lucky pint-sized Cardinals fans will also be selected to be helmet helpers and receive Ooh. an autographed mini helmet. So Arizona teams are getting on the train of giving some things out to fans to make sure that they're coming out and supporting, and the Cardinals are going to have to do that. But I can't wait, dude. I just cannot wait for football to be back. 
I'm, I'm so ready for it, especially as the Diamondbacks kind of take their nosedive on their season, it, even though we don't. And that's kind of the beauty of it, right? Our expectations are so low for the Cardinals where it'll just be fun to, to watch and see what they do. And if they win a few games here and there, I mean, it depends, I guess, which camp you're in. If you're in the full tank mode camp, then you're going to hate every time they lose a game. But if you're in the, the optimist, optimist, is that the right word? Side of it all, then you'll you'll be like, great, this is awesome. There's hope for the future. And so I would be fine either way, whether we go full tank and lose every game in embarrassing fashion, or if we manage to squeak them out. Um, guys, as we kind of wrap up here, um, we've kind of gone through the whole gambit. We talked about the Pac-12 Diamondbacks trade deadline coming up and the Cardinals training camp kicking off. So I want to ask I have one more question for all of you, and then I'll give you the floor to say any last words. But Ben, I'll ask you first. Are you team Barbie or team Oppenheimer? Ooh, you know, I, that's a really important question. Uh, I am going to say I am Kenoff. As in Ken. Like, yeah, Bart team. Ah, oh, yeah. Team Barbie for Ben. Okay. Yep. All right. Nico, what about you? Uh, I, I feel like given my roots – I should be Oppenheimer, but uh, man, I don't know. I love Ryan Gosling. I, I put I put on my my social media the other day like, don't ever forget that Ryan Gosling was a absolute liability at cornerback. So I, yes. I, I I love me some Ryan Gosling purely off the remember the Titans. So I don't know, man. I'd go Barbie. I'd say Barbie probably. Okay, Mike. I like it. I like it. I'm Team Barbenheimer. How does that how does that sound? Huh? Like Kyler Murray, let them both cook, man. Let's go. Even though three hours, it's a little intimidating to think about. I just want them both three to have hours. But I want them to both I want them to all win, man. Let's go. I I have heard of a lot of people doing like the the both movies one weekend type of thing. And uh both are getting good reviews so far. Uh Sabrina and, and some of her friends went out and saw it this last weekend. She said it was really good. Really liked the Barbie movie. I know Mike, you and I are trying to get out to IMAX to see Barbenheimer Barbenheimer. <laughs> Oppenheimer. <laughs> the screen is so big. One, Barbie will be playing on the left, Oppenheimer on the right. Right. You just got one earbud for each movie in each ear. But yeah, I want to, want to see it in IMAX in that beautiful 70 millimeter as Christopher Nolan intended. We do have that IMAX out here in uh, Arizona at the Mills Mall. So I, did, I definitely don't want to have that front row seat, though. I don't know if you guys have seen the crazy people who are sitting right in the front row just <laughs> getting their minds blown. Um, but yeah, going to be fun. I haven't seen either movie. Really excited to see Oppenheimer. We'll probably see Barbie at some point and uh, maybe on a future uh, pop culture stream we can follow up and really break down the two but fellas before we get out of here i'll pass it to you first ben and go around the horn here is there anything else you would like to say get off your chest say to the people uh what's going on with you uh rip pack 12 go devils and uh i'm actually excited for this sun's season coming up Ooh! oh wait last thing last thing yeah yeah what you got i gotta do it let's see here how are we feeling? Oh, the jerseys. Ooh. Uh, I, uh, I, I like it. I love them. I'm not even going to lie. I wish the purple was a little brighter maybe instead of that 
like darker purple, like maybe a more old school Phoenix purple, but I oh, like it. White ball does it for me. Yeah. It's like looking uh, in the mirror. Bring back the sunburst, man. If we keep the sunburst in the collection of jerseys anyway, man, then we're winning. That's for sure. Yeah. But think about how dope these would be black, too. I mean, that gives us the opportunity for the black alternate. And with the white sun sunburst across the chest, yeah, that's game over. That's one of the best jerseys in the NBA. If they roll out the black alternate, I'm 100% on board. But right now I'm kind of like I, – I get like the minimalist approach and you get to incorporate the sunburst, but I just – it seems a little bit lazy to me. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. We'll see Chris when they – the ultimate hater, dude. That's what it comes down <laughs> to. He's just the ultimate hater. Have the, the Valley player. jerseys uh, run their course? Are we are we like move on to the next big thing? Okay, so I this I love uniforms. This is my this is this is my my little cup of tea. I have heard that the Valley uniforms have run their course, but they're going to do an L Valley uh, jersey. Uh, from everything that I've seen, prediction wise, it's supposed to be like. I'm colorblind, but it's supposed to be like a deep purple or a navy blue with like a script across the chest. Um, so it's just low suns, but with the valley. Yeah, 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 but the valley. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we double dipped. Sounds like the suns. Yeah, I don't do any word on if they're bringing back those teal city editions. I'm pretty uh, sure those are done. Yeah, yeah those are right, done. That's like a one and done. Yeah, probably. But. Probably I the believe best. the statement jersey is coming back, which is like the Valley in regard to the black with the kind of, you know, yellow, white backgrounds. Those are pretty clean, too. So I love those black jerseys, man. Yeah. Sorry to derail the, the outros, Chris. <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with you? What the hell? <laughs> but, Nico, it's your turn. You got the floor, man. What's going on? Yeah, man. Uh, you know, just I'm looking forward to football starting, man. Um, we are here. I can, you can smell it. The grass is being cut. Like we are, we are right around the corner from Arizona football. It is the best time of year when we are optimistic and the first game hasn't played yet. As a Cardinals fan, this is the area we live and thrive in. So I am very excited for football season. Talk to me after game one. It'll probably be a whole different story. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm super pumped for football season. Uh, go Devils as well. Um, we'll probably be playing in, you know, the, the, the Mac 15 at some point, but uh, go, go Devils. And uh, yeah, I'm going to have to get on that Barbenheimer train too. I need to go see both of those. Definitely. I'm with you there. Mr. Michael Benjamin, what's going on, man? What you got? Well, first and foremost, I got to thank Ben. I got to thank Nico. These roundtables wouldn't happen without you guys. So we always appreciate your time coming through. I think the only thing for me is, man, like football is here. Like that's that's all I'm thinking about right now. And even though our team will probably be uh, a dumpster fire once again, I just don't care. I just can't wait to see him back on the field, man. I'm with you guys there. I'm excited for everything coming up. We've just got baseball right now, but football and basketball right around the corner. I think you guys nailed it. Whether it's Suns basketball, super excited for that season. Whether it's the Cardinals and the NFL season finally kicking off. Or whether it's going to see Barbie and or Oppenheimer. There's plenty, plenty to look forward to. But I echo my sentiment there. Ben, Nico, really appreciate you guys joining us. In the words of Stephen Miller, it is always a privilege and never a chore when you guys are on. And I just love you guys so much. But we're going to go ahead and take off for the night. 
Uh, this was a VSP roundtable. We do these about once a month. We got the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks. Yes. Recap coming out next week. And we always try and keep at least one video or live stream coming at you every week. So make sure you like and subscribe, ring that notification bell here on YouTube. So you know, when we're going live, you can check us out at AZ underscore VSP on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, and then Valley sports plug on Facebook and here on YouTube. But for Michael Benjamin, Ben Miller, and Nico, I am Chris Patrick, and we will see you next time. Peace.